Welcome back to Raising Unicorns. I'm Benton Crane, and in today's episode, our co-founder Daniel Harmon and Zach Atherton, the head of our writer's room, admit that talent isn't everything. When you need to create laugh-out-loud ads, you need a safe environment for pitching jokes. And Daniel and Zach tell you exactly how to do it. Unicorns are real. In the past eight years, Harmon Brothers has helped raise five unicorns. Yes, that's five companies with a billion dollar valuation, with at least six more companies right on the cusp of becoming unicorns. Here on Raising Unicorns, we share the lessons we've learned to help you grow your business by tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars. It's time to start raising a unicorn of your own. Welcome back. I'm Zach Atherton, lead writer of the Harmon Brothers Writers Room, and joined with me for this segment, we have Daniel Harmon, who's a co-founder and consultant for the Harmon Brothers Agency. How you doing, Daniel? I'm doing well. Today we're talking about something I think you'll be especially equipped to talk about, and this is how to give birth to funny content. Now, would you consider yourself a comedian? No. No. Have, have you ever done a <laughs> well, yes. stand-up show? Or like, have, you ever, have you ever like gone out in the trenches and like done comedy that way? Not in the traditional sense. Not like you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't done improv. I haven't done stand-up. I haven't done sketch. I've done performances on stage with like yeah. community plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've always kind of been one of the funny ones in the family. Yeah, the but funny if, kid. But if everyone thought they were the funny one in their family, <laughs> claimed to be a comedian... I think that'd really dilute the value of people like you. So I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. But you have to work with funny people all the time. I mean, you yes. were the previously the chief creative officer of Harmon Brothers, and you were the ones that cultivated and gathered the comedic teams to create that. And so you often have the position of creative director who may not necessarily be the ones, you know, you, you and I have been writers from together and you'll yep. give, you know, awesome jokes here and there. But most of the time you're like, I'm here to set you on the path and put up these bumpers yep. and let you guys go. So yep. talk, talk a little bit about how you make that happen. So first off, it's bringing in really talented people like yourself, obviously, and, and other writers who have those reps and nothing replaces those reps, yeah, right? Yeah. Someone that actually goes out and gets to be embarrassed on stage. <laughs> yeah. You learn so quickly <laughs> from embarrassment, especially because I've got this whole comedy set I've written. I've got like 10 minutes of stand-up really? that I've never actually gone and tested Okay. because I've realized... I have kids. <laughs> if this if this episode if this episode gets ten thousand downloads, oh. Daniel's committing right now That's to right. perform all ten minutes of his stand up. But it's people that have basically paid their dues in testing their content, right? Mm. It's it's rapid iteration in being able to get a proof of that. I feel like comedians and entrepreneurs are very similar. Yeah. They have to test things with That's the so market true. so quickly yeah. in order to adjust to what the audience likes. Because you might think it's funny. Yeah. And then you go and perform it on stage and you're like, oh, that totally bombed. <laughs> yeah. And did it bomb because it was just not funny or because the way I delivered it. Right. right There's all right. these other factors that come into play. But for me, it's all about find, finding really good talent with that experience, with those reps, and then kind of just guiding them in that process It's something they already do really well, yeah. but within an application that might be a little bit new for them. Right. And I love how you say entrepreneurs and comedians are the same because one of the first skills both of those people have to learn is to fail fast, fail quick, yes. get over it, and do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Would, have you noticed a difference when you're working with, you know, you need to create something funny, working with comedians who are like in the trenches versus comedic people who might not have been there? What's the common thread between, the, you know, the two successful demographics? Yeah, the common thread is that both understand comedy and then the uncommon thread is that one is able to get to funny much faster mm. 
than the other. Like yeah. I might, I, I understand funny, right? Yeah. I know how comedic timing works and stuff, but when it comes to writing it, like you can write probably five to 10 funny jokes in the time I write one. Sure. And I might be really good at taking that as a director yeah. and making that sing in a video yeah. in like, you know, the animated show I'm working on now or in an ad or whatever it is, but in being able to ideate, that's a skill. That, that is a developed skill right. that someone like you or other stand-up or improv or acting comedians have that I haven't developed as much yet. Yeah. And so it's it's an efficiency yeah. in being able to get to that funny solution really fast. But I think both are able to recognize it well. And for me, my, my strength is a little bit more understanding kind of from the higher level, this is what we need to accomplish. Right. And this is the message that needs to be driven home. And I've got this little funny idea and I can one up this here and there, but coming with like, oh, I've got these 40 great jokes. Right. That's less where I'm developed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've noticed in the different rooms uh, that I've been in that there are people who really thrive in the preparation phase where they can just ideate and test and test and test and they bring a really polished script. And there's other folks who are just like really good at riffing in the moment. Yes. Talk a little bit about the value of each of those. Those those really smart folks were able to come up with jokes before and those who are just able to roll with it and come up with, you know, a joke a minute or whatever. As long as you have kind of an all bought in collaborative team that wants to put out the best work yeah. and not like it has to be mine, yeah. then you can kind of take a little bit of ego out of it and everybody can improve on everybody's stuff. Right. And specifically, like you said, some people are just really good with improv. And I feel like that's a little bit of one of my skills is taking stuff that is already funny and then thinking of how to like juice it up a little bit more. Yeah. And not even necessarily always in the writer's room, but in the process of bringing it to the final screen, right? Right. The entire directing process. But for, for writers themselves, yeah, you see that where their script might only be so funny that they read that day, but then there's some nuggets in it that are just so hilarious. Yeah. But then as they riff, it's like, oh my gosh, this is really taking the scene that Zach wrote and taking it to this next level yeah. and making it um, way funnier. That's a skill in and of itself. You're for enough to have experience in kind of all those regards. So Yeah. I want to talk a little this bit about- This is just going to become a long like podcast of me just praising <laughs> Zach and just like selling Zach the whole time. What? Uh, two pages of talking points all about me? Interesting. <laughs> right. um, I want to talk a little bit about this buying in principle. Okay. Give me an example of when a room or a creative process didn't go well because someone didn't buy in or because something ideas were too precious or something like that. You don't have to name names, but drawing a contrast between those rooms are everyone's bought in and everyone has like the clear vision. Everyone's like maybe precious about their ideas. Yeah, it's just a different flow. And specifically, it's not as fun to work in. And <laughs> yeah. when you're not having as much fun, you're not as creative. Yep. Yeah. And then the other part of it is sometimes that's brought on by perverse financial incentives. Mm. So if someone's coming in and working on an ad and they've been told, you know, you're going to get paid more if you're really able to make your mark on this thing, that can sometimes be problematic because mm. they're really trying so hard to just like, oh, it's got to be my thing. It's got to be my idea right, as right. opposed to just trying to do the best thing. And then there's other people that if you just know we're trying to get to the best ideas and you've got people that can come in without ego, that really is the ideal state. And like you said, some people are just precious. They're still not, as much as they're used to being a comedian, they're not necessarily used to taking like the rejection, the correction yeah. in that setting. Yeah, It can for sure gum things up. 
and you've, yeah. you've seen it too. It can oh, 100%. be with new, 100%. I think any new writer coming in has a little bit of an adjustment to make in that regard. Yeah. Uh, new, new writers or, or people whose only creative outlet is writing. I feel yeah. like sometimes those people, there's ideas because when you're in the trenches doing stand up, improv or sketch, you're doing comedy all the time. Yeah. Oh, that bombed. I bombed last night, but there's always next week. But people who come in were like, this is my one chance to be funny. Yeah. And you get shot down that way. It's like, instead of 0.001% of your jokes, you know, being shut down, it's like 20% or whatever. Right. It could be really devastating. Yeah. And I think some of the people that have taught me the most about being not precious about your stuff, that your idea isn't you, right? Yeah. It came through you, but it's not your idea, right? Yeah. It's not an insult on you. You're one of them. Uh, Dave Vance has done a really good job of that. And I think Johnny, where it's just like, and I've worked with writers in the past where there's like, no, I'm just going to hang on to this thing. Yeah. Don't you insult it. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. it's funny to me. And it's like, yeah. I didn't laugh, man. You right. know? And I think what you miss an opportunity to grow. Absolutely. And to actually have your stuff be more creative if you allow people to kind of help you shape it. Yeah, it's those people who have who conflate the the ideas with their self-worth. If like if you're saying this joke's not funny, what I'm hearing is you're saying I'm not funny. Mm-hmm. And that immediately puts you into an unsafe place. And I want to talk about that for a second, but it, it seems like the principle of that's the most productive is that people understand that ideas are cheap, jokes are cheap. Yes. If this joke doesn't work, give me 12 more. And they're like, no problem. That's what writers are meant to do, not give this one polished joke and then d- defend it, defend it, defend it. I want to hear your theory about, you talked a little bit about when you're unsafe, you're less creative. Why do you think that is? Just think it puts your body in a state where you're either, you're questioning people's motives. Oh, yeah. You're maybe angry or resentful towards them. Mm. And if you want to get really scientific, it's probably cortisol and <laughs> stress, <laughs> and, yeah. and different kind of forms of stress and chemicals going through your body that are yeah. not helping your brain to be in creative flow. Right. And so if you are in that place where you're just like, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to throw anything out there and it's totally going to be fine because yeah. it either lands or it doesn't and, and who cares? Right. It's about the process of getting there. Yeah. Then you are able to, I think, find the really great stuff then. It's when you're second guessing, not just other people, but yourself, Mm. that that's when it gets the worst as opposed to just being like, oh, there's an idea. Like you said, ideas are cheap. Just keep coming up with them. And eventually... In enough of those swings at bat, something's going to hit and go over the go over the fence, you know? Absolutely. There's an idea that we all know the fight or flight response yep. where cortisol's triggered or you're stressed or whatever. Yep. And when you're unsafe, your brain's priority is safety. Yes. And safety is all about efficiency. What's the quickest way to the door? What's the exit out of here? And it's not about possibility. Right, That's what right. creativity is. And so you've seen this of when writers are relaxed, when they're having a fun time, when there's good chemistry, ideas are flowing because they understand... I can spout out six stinkers that aren't going to go anywhere, but I'm with my comrades. Who cares? Right. You know, I'm with my right. peers. I'd like to hear, what have you done when people do get in their heads, when they do start second guessing, when those stakes seem to creep up of being like, I'm so stressed, I've got nothing. What have you done as a creative director to remind people or to reset or to just help people chill out and get creative again? Yeah, one of the best resets is just taking a break. I find that whenever I'm working really hard on something and then I just stop and don't have to think about anything just like even on the way to the bathroom or in the bathroom, <laughs> yeah. like that's yeah. when some of the flow happens mm. when your your mind is able to just wander for a second. Yep. So just just a quick break and helps like a walk, just getting blood flow going. Absolutely. So I mean, the, like I said, mentioned the walk to the bathroom, sitting on a toilet has less 
less blood flow. So maybe <laughs> now the squatty potty though. <laughs> now the squatty potty, it's a little bit better off. But going on a walk helps a lot of people. You know, pacing. Yeah. And then the other one is just kind of a reminder of like this is where we're at. I'm liking this idea right here and this one less. Yeah. Sometimes being decisive of like this is kind of where we're gonna go. Don't be offended by that. This is great highlighting what's good and all that kind of stuff at the same time, I think is helpful. Luckily, I, I haven't dealt with it to the point that it gets really bad much. Usually that's in interfacing with clients sometimes. Right. That can be a little bit harder to work through stuff because you maybe didn't get the clarity from the client originally that you needed. Yeah. And, and then you're kind of working through some of that. You actually have been good about this in our writing sessions. It's like, what's the main thing we're actually trying to say? <laughs> yeah. what, what's this the primary message that has to get across and then we'll build around that because sometimes some of that gumming up happens when you don't really know yeah. exactly yeah. where you're going and what's the common thread that has to carry it all through. And that's where the hierarchy is really important because when there is no hierarchy or pecking order, like you're a creative director, writers, our job is to execute your vision, put our own flavor on it, put our own voice into it. At the end of the day, if you want to teach or convey X, we shouldn't be fighting for Y. Right. We should be helping you push in its when, well, I've been working on Y this whole time and I've been working on Z this whole time and you're like just resetting and getting back to why. Yes. But I want to get back to this idea of allowing your mind to wander. This is something I've been really grateful for Harmon Brothers with their writer's process. So I think they under, I think Harmon Brothers as an organization understands that writers need a chance to ultimately be bored, decompress yes. and not just write. Like I've never seen where it's like you have eight hours to write and that's it and uh, produce something great. We've had crunch times for, you know, different final drafts before, but I've heard of other agencies and other, you know, like sketch shows and comedic shows where they'll say, your writing time is from nine to four and you're in your pod and you're presenting it. And that sounds like a literal nightmare to me as a writer. Yeah. Because part of it is just like outlining it and then letting your brain in the background go to work. Yes. Have you ever had a problem where you went to bed with it and then you woke up and your brain worked it out and you woke up or like, ah, like that that's the creative answer. And it, and it became easier, yes. I'd say for me, it's less so just right when I wake up. But I guess there's there there are times throughout my morning routine where I'll be like, oh, here's this thing, or while I'm driving. Yeah. And if you're going to do it while you're driving, you do have to turn off the radio. Yeah. You have to turn off your podcast, your audiobook, your music, whatever it is, yeah. and just kind of let your brain wander while you're, you know, mindlessly droning down the freeway. Yep. So that's one of the things there. And in my career early on, I was working at ad agencies, and I very much tried to do it through brute force when I was brainstorming. Yeah. I would have some sort of a sketch pad or notebook or something that I was writing things down on. And I would go hour in and hour out and just like try to muscle my way oh, through shoot. through things. And it was terrible. Yeah. Oh, it was not it was not good at all. It wasn't fun and it put a lot of pressure on me. And it was later that I started seeing this common thread, both in my own activity and in a lot of people that I interviewed on another podcast about how they came up with really creative ideas. Over and over again, it was this idea of white space. Yep. It's the times when your brain does not have to think about anything. And for, yeah. for that, it's different things for different people. Like for me, one of them can be like while I'm doing the dishes. Yep. It can be a re really repetitive task where like, oh, all of a sudden something cool comes to me, right? Or yeah. another one can be like working in the garden. Yeah. Just sitting there, you know, weeding out the weeds. But like it's mindless enough of work that my brain can sit there and, and, and focus right. on other things. And, and if you don't give yourself walking the dog – Right. Or going on a walk in in general. If you don't give yourself those times to do your brain to really do the magical background work, you are shutting down the magic. Yep. Yep. 
I love that idea of finding your white spaces mm-hmm. of saying, you know, for it could be a drive. What are your top three white spaces? Yeah. The bathroom, like I mentioned, is a big one. The times in between meetings, just getting up from a meeting and walking around. Walking can be another one. But like I mentioned, the dishes, gardening, walking in general, it can't be intense exercise. If I'm like really focused on like, you know, getting in shape and that kind of thing, I'm yeah. not doing much ideation right. there. Because right. <laughs> there's, some, there's something active in your brain. You, mm-hmm. it's, you have to let your brain deactivate. Yes. And you have to be in a really safe space. Like you, your brain wouldn't be deactivated if you're in the middle of oncoming traffic or in the middle of a fight with your significant other or something like yes. that. It has to be this place where totally safe, the stakes are zero, yes. and your brain can just activate those different parts so you don't exercise most of the day. And I will say driving is great. I just don't use it as often yeah. as I probably should because I yeah. usually have some sort of an audio book in. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about sort of an interesting question to ponder, but what makes something funny? It's so interesting. Everyone's sense of humor is like their own fingerprint. It seems yeah. to be so unique. And I'm curious, to, for someone who works with so many funny people and has created so many funny things, how do you define what's funny? Why do we laugh? Because it's surprising. Surprising. That's the, the that's the first one to me. That is the common element, it seems like, in almost any joke. Yeah. You're caught off guard in some way. Yeah. It's a step left from what you were thinking. It's some sort of – has a an element of surprise because if it's, if it's predictable, yep. then it's – it's boring. It's not engaging. It's not creative. And then the next one I'd say is relatability. Yep. Is that it's something that you have a basis in your life and in your reality to be able to attach it to, to where, <laughs> to where you're like, oh, I, I get that. Right. I, yeah. I, I understand it. Like if it's, if it's confusing to you, you're probably not going to be laughing at it a whole lot. Right. And that relatability I think is kind of the next factor. And then from there, it's just, does it have anything to do with poop? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, heard, I heard on the retreat that you think poop jokes are funny, but fart jokes are are not. I funny. do not think fart jokes are very <laughs> so funny. So what's the difference? There? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. For me, like I grew up on a farm and I was around a lot of animals and stuff that pooped and things like that. And and I think it must have been like such a taboo in in my house, like even to say the word fart. Oh. Like I mean, we could pass gas and everything like that if we said excuse me and that type <laughs> yeah. of thing. It was pretty conservative. In that way. I don't regret it or anything like that, but that's, I don't know, for some reason, I think also a little bit comes from my background in advertising, where when I went through the program at BYU, they taught a lot about just like stay away from you know, the, any kind of like bathroom jokes. Yeah. And specifically they, I think they singled out fart jokes in a yeah, way yeah, yeah. that it was like, okay, don't, you know, don't, don't mess with that stuff. Yeah. And then they also said, stay away from puns. Mm. And then I proceeded to go throughout my career ignoring <laughs> a <laughs> lot of that. I'm like, there's a time and a place. And, uh, you know, sometimes I might have done it with class and sometimes maybe, <laughs> maybe less so. But yeah, I don't know. For me, something culturally in my family or in me just latched on to the idea yeah. that, that farts are more offensive than just poop. <laughs> yeah. And that cultural context is so important to what people find. Yeah. is funny because there's a theory, it's called the violation theory. Probably heard of that, that comedy is violation of expectations in a safe space. Mm. So if I were to do like, why the chicken cross the road? Okay. I heard this before. And then I say something really obscene or, or I make fun of someone's faith or a disability <laughs> or something. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, that's not safe at all. Yeah. But if you tiptoe the line, that's when it's sort of funny where you violate that expectations. I had 
had this conversation the other day with my improv troupe of like, why are things funny? And I think one of them is rela- relatability. Yeah. One is shock humor when you're shocked and violated. That's my surprise thing. Yeah. One yeah. is smart where things are very smart and clever or violate yeah. your expectation. Like, oh my gosh, that's true. Mm-hmm. And the fourth one is relatability. And it was a fun. You said relatability twice. That's how that's important it is. That's because it takes <laughs> twice as much relatability <laughs> no, as it does shock no, humor. Totally, hold on. <laughs> we have shocking, smart, relatable, and silly. Okay, silly is silly. the fourth okay. one. Silly or absurd. I was just wanting to quote Chicken Run. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> because it takes twice as hard, much hard work as it does the experience or whatever he says. <laughs> Perseverance. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And it's funny for me because it's like, for me, myself, I love shocking. So the, my, my hierarchy, I like shocking, silly, smart, and then relatable. Yeah. What What's your rankings? What are the ones that you find most fun? Oh, yeah. On that list. For sure. I love silly. Probably silly. What, what was it again? Silly, relatable. Shocking. Shocking. And smart. And smart. I probably go silly, smart, relatable, and then shocking. Shocking, shocking is yeah. probably my last because, yeah. you know, the fart thing. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, well, we have, have to keep our class here. So I'm curious to know, I'd love to know, it's like when you're assembling your team, is there something that you like, do you have a preamble? How, how do you get people in the mood, so to speak, to be creative and to be funny, whether it's in a brainstorming session or writing session? A production meeting, post-production or whatever, yeah. what do you do? A little bit of it is setting the expectations up front with the guidance, for example, you know, here's the objectives we have to accomplish. Here's the main message that has to get across. And so being being very clear on that, sharing any kind of high concept ideas that I'm already, already stirring around in my mind to maybe get things. I don't want to taint people, but at yeah. the same time of like, I think this could be kind of cool, you know, if we kind of went down down this road. So, so that's another one. If like you've got some sort of vague ideas to to start with and share, that can be really helpful. For me, I'm a person of faith and starting with a prayer is, is always helpful. And the other one is just like, it's getting a bunch of people in the room that you know are going to be just fun yeah. to work with. And to like begin each with. other. Yeah, and that like each other, that are going to get along. And so when I, as a creative director, when I lead a writer's room, there's always lead writer. And so rather than just going out and picking writers, putting them together and saying, now work together, hmm. I like to go to the kind of my lead writer and say, who do you want? Yeah. What do you want to bring into this? Who, who do you want to bring in that you feel like will work really well with you? Because I think that chemistry is so important. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And so, 100%. yeah, those are some of them. We talked about this on another episode, but if there's vibe and there's talent, which one do you prioritize? I'll take vibe. Take vibe. I'll take vibe every time. Yep. The other thing is sometimes there's talent or experience, as I, as I would call it. Yep. And then there's hunger. Mm. And I also think that's a careful one to balance where yeah. sometimes experience can be really efficient. Yep. But sometimes the hunger to do well and to prove yourself yeah. is so high yeah. that those can kind of even each other out. Yeah. And so I tend to lean a little bit towards hoping that there's at least some hunger there, right? Yeah. To, to really do great stuff. That's so interesting. Use these words. So I, I cast comedy shows every week mm-hmm. and I have three tenets of how I do that. I imagine it's similar in the rooms and I'll, I'll do this when I assemble writers rooms, but first is vibe. Vibe means people are excited to be around you and that they're mm-hmm. most safe self. Second is talent or experience. Mm-hmm. You have to have the reps. You have to be able to do it. And then third is like, it, how did you describe hunger. it again? The hunger. And we call it buy-in or commitment. Oh, okay. You are yeah. bought into this idea because sometimes you can have someone with incredible vibe and incredible hunger and they'll go farther and they'll do 
bigger things and the person with a lot of talent or low, low buy-in. Yeah. So it's like, oh, it's another writing project to me. It's whatever. Yeah. But this person's like, this means everything to me. Like, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show the world. Yeah. You know? You're not going to be, inherently, you're not going to be creative if you're going through the motions. Yep. Well, last thing, there's probably a lot of folks here that either want to know how to be funnier or how to attract funny people to help their content be more comedic. What would you recommend? What, what If you can give three takeaways or three points of advice to use more funny in your life, what would you say? You got to tell more jokes. You got to make the people around you laugh. Yeah. So you got to just try it out with jokes. And so that starts with people that you're with every day, roommates, friends, neighbors, family. And then more official way to do it is obviously go and get the real experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finally do that 10 minute set you've been writing for five years. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm going and doing um, open mic nights and really embracing the embarrassment. Yeah. And going through that pain and allowing that to wash over you. Taking improv classes or yes. taking just, just just put stuff put stuff out there. Yeah, fail, you gotta big. you gotta do the reps of writing and, and and testing your stuff. And then also I would say you wanna be around funny as well. Meaning you wanna be around funny people yeah. that inspire you that you can kind of see, oh, that's the kind of joke they're doing, or yeah. you wanna watch other content that's funny. I think if we're all just watching Breaking Bad all the time, <laughs> it's not going to be as funny of a world yeah. <laughs> as if, you know, you're mixing in the good place and the right. the office and, and, you know, whatever funny thing it is that you're watching. But that's, yeah, that would be some pointers. Cool. Last thing. This is what every comedic person loves to hear. Tell me your best joke. My best your joke? best joke. Well, my best joke was probably having... A unicorn poop ice cream. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever topped that one. Nope, um, nope. I think I've had I've had bigger laughs from individual like lines that have been said and from different gags that I've done. But as far as a more memorable just joke than that, like that just that whole concept is a joke. Yeah. Admittedly, it's not just mine. That was also my brother Jeffrey that brought a whole bunch to the table there. It was his original idea to like have poop as a metaphor for ice cream and, yeah. and those types of things. There was a, that was a lot of people that came together to make that joke what it was. Obviously, Dave Vance brought in the element of the prince. But still, I'll, I'll, you know, I can attach myself to that one. Yeah, making, <laughs> making a unicorn poop ice cream is probably the funniest thing I've ever done. The reason I ask is rule of thumb people – Never ask someone to be funny on the spot because it <laughs> always sends them into a panic spiral and it never works. It so definitely did. <laughs> definitely <a> did. <laughs> but luckily I had a, a rainbow pooping unicorn to back up to. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for listening. Uh, if, if you want help with some of your creative content, you can always go to harmerbrothers.com slash writers room. Or if you need help just on your video campaigns, go check us out at harmerbrothers.com. Thanks, Daniel, for all of your wisdom. Thanks for having me. This is fun. If you liked what you heard today, then give us a follow. If not, send this episode to your competitors. Maybe they'll hate it too. Either way, thanks for listening to Raising Unicorns.